Well, it's good to see, see that uh, most of you are thought out and uh, survived. And uh, I know there's been uh, uh, the, the cold weather has affected a few. Um, there's people that are even right now dealing with broken pipes, and so they're not here. And there's out people dealing with no heat, no, no power. Um, my in-laws are at, uh, at home uh, dealing with no power. Uh, Kaylee and Malachi, their church froze too, and, and uh, so did uh, uh, Rob's parents. Their church froze. So they're here <laughs> with us. Um, praise the Lord for a basement where the water comes in underground. And uh, so we have a warm basement. We just set the, 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 you know, the temp for 60 degrees downstairs, and that takes care of it. But um, that's not the case for some of us. Uh, we enjoyed warm wood, uh, you know, burning wood. And, and uh, praise the Lord, the 60-mile-an-hour winds didn't destroy our pipes this year. We've had that in the past. Um, We've had the pipes and also the drain pipes. We live in a house that's built in 1902, so the drain, the drain pipes come out of the top story and go down the, down the outside wall. So, <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in Alaska, right? You know, I know how to deal with ice and, and frozen temperatures. You just keep the water on just a, a, a little bit to keep the water running, right? And it won't freeze. If it's running, it won't freeze. Well. No one said anything about the drain pipes. And, uh, <laughs> so we, one year we had the drain pipes freeze, and, and so, which meant the water that was dripping overflowed. So, <laughs> so you know, there's nothing, uh, you know, you're, you're always, you think you're wise until you're not, you know. But anyway, well, I, I trust that uh, you're comfortable and, uh, and that you'll find great joy if you are in Christ, this is a great message. It's great encouraging. If you're not in Christ, you might find this greatly uh, convicting, uh, which I pray that it does because we want you to be led to life, life eternal, life in, in Christ. Um, and we're continuing this idea of, of the flesh, uh, the representative Adam, that it represents a life in the flesh. And the representative Christ, the second Adam that we have that represents life in Christ and this new life in the spirit and being adopted into a life with the Lord. Uh, Paul is continuing this uh, dissection of what it means that we are in Christ and uh, how that separates us from the flesh. And so we're going to go through these two realities I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to specifically look at verse 5 through 8, and a lot of good stuff here, and I look forward to spending time with the junior hires and getting really animated. Hopefully, they're thought out and animated. The more animated they get, the more excited I get, so we'll see. We'll see if Kedrick is awake or asleep, so we'll see how that goes, but anyway, we'll see how it goes. Well, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word. Lord, I pray that you would settle our hearts. Lots of things going on, a lot of distractions, a lot of things that we see, um, that we're thinking about. But Lord, 
praise you for your word. It changes us. It helps us. It encourages us. Even as we see the separation of death and life, as we see a life in sin and a life that's based on your gift that you gave us through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Lord, thank you for this gift of life. It's a blessing as we see both the positive and the negative. It encourages us because we see the fulfillment of your work. We see the fulfillment of your completeness, your holiness. Lord, that you are thorough, that you haven't left anything undone. There's nothing for us to worry about. We can turn our attention to you. You are the giver of life. Thank you for your word. Help us uh, to understand it this morning. We thank you for these words of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love these first few words, these gems in Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is quite an amazing section as we try to dissect it. Those first four verses help us to realize a few things, and that is the ability for us to deal with sin is it's impossible. That's why it's so amazing that being in Christ, we have no condemnation. There's victory because of the work of Christ, not because of our work. There is nothing in the flesh that we could do to, to come out from under this condemnation, to come out from the wrath of God. If you've been in Sunday school, we've been talking about the wrath of God and how it's satisfied in the work of Christ when he stood in our place and took the brunt, all of God's wrath for us because of sin. What we see here is is that the ability to defeat the flesh is not ours. That ability is not about us. Oh, poor girl, stop pinching her. (laughs) <laughs> the ability is like, yeah, that's, a, that's our, it's like, we want to be able to deal with the flesh, but we can't. The ability is not ours. The ability to defeat the law is not ours. We see that in, in verse 2 and 3 of this chapter. We can't deal with it. We are weak in the flesh. But because of Christ, we have victory. He is not weak. 
The ability to defeat the law is not ours. The ability to defeat sin is not ours. This is setting up how great this is, how great the fact of what Christ has done for us, how weak we are magnifies and helps us, just as we sing, behold our God, how great he is. The ability to defeat sin is not ours. You've been struggling with sin in your life and you've been focusing, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And the more that you try, the more weak you really feel. That's because the ability to defeat sin is not ours. This ability in its totality lies in the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all about the work of the Spirit in our life. As you see the work of Christ and what God has done in chapters 1 through 7, it's all about Christ. And now our life in Christ, it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 is, like I said last week, 20 different times he's mentioning and it's all about the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we look at chapter 8, as especially as we get to the familiar passage of verses 5 through 8, um, it's totally misunderstood because we start to think about the fact that, oh, um, if I'm living in the flesh, then this is what my life is going to look like. Or if I'm, living, if I'm living in the Spirit, this is what my life will look like. But it's, the reality is it's two separate people is continuing the same concept that all through Romans, that there's the flesh, the, the flesh that's represented by Adam, and then there's the, the Holy Spirit, the life in the Spirit that's represented by Christ. There isn't a third midi, middle area. It's two separate people. And that's what we're going to look at. There's two groups of distinct people. There's dis, two distinct mindsets, and there's two different results. And he's continuing to describe and explain why there is no condemnation. If you're in Christ, if you have this relationship with Christ, you've submitted your life to Christ in repentance, then he saved you and there's no condemnation. And he's explaining why that is. And this is the point that Paul is trying to continue to make. It's not our flesh that proves or provides that will please God It's only the Holy Spirit that lives in us that will be able to please God. It's the work of the Spirit that pleases God. That's why he made, you know, you've heard Paul say that don't you know that you've been bought with price, therefore glorify and honor God with your body because it's been paid for. And now you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit resides in you. There's no no more temple that we go and worship at because now the Holy Spirit's residing in us. The inner, when God saves us, we now become the holy of holies. Not the outside, not the flesh, but being in Christ. We now have the Holy Spirit. For those, and it's going in verse 5, basically if we were to break it down, he's saying this, for those who are habitually dominated by the sinful nature put their minds on things of the sinful nature. He talks about that, and he brings us to this realization that there are two groups of people. Romans 5 is basically this. There are those that are of the flesh, that's unbelievers. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have, they're still under condemnation. But those that have no condemnation are those that are of the Spirit and that are believers. 
So we have two groups, the unbelievers and the believers. In the Greek, it it's literally says, for those who are. Those who, in the ESV, it says, those, uh, it says for um, those who live. But it literally are. And it denotes that their present condition in their life is basically practicing the flesh, the sinful nature of the flesh. In other words, such a person is unregenerate. They're living in their unregenerate. They're living in sin. They're living in the flesh. They're They're not saved and continuing to practice the flesh, but that they are in the flesh. There's a difference between practicing and are. They are something, is what Paul is delineating. The reason that we're not condemned is because we're of the Spirit. We are in the Spirit or in Christ. We are not in the flesh. The prepositional phrase, according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, describes a person that, that thinks with reference to what will save them and please God. According to the flesh is one who continually and habitually believes that he is right. If you're according to the flesh, they're like, it's the flesh. It's what I do that's going to matter. The flesh, when Paul says the flesh, he's talking about the human fallen nature of man. Those who oppose God and godliness. Warren Wiersbe points out that the flesh is weak when it comes to doing spiritual things. But here's the thing. The flesh is weak when it comes to God and being holy and right in spiritual things, but it's very strong when it comes to practicing rules and regulations, somehow adhering to to religious routines and inflating the ego and making a person content in his self-righteousness. It's amazing how people are very strong. The flesh is strong about being religious and trying to do religious things because when they follow rules and stuff, they shows them how self-righteous they are. It's all about themselves. But those who are in the spirit and believers, they believe that their nature, the, the sinful, they still have a sinful nature, they still have a flesh, but they do not function habitually according to the dictates or being dominated by the flesh. Being in the spirit means that we don't have, the flesh is not dominating, even though we're still in the flesh, we're not united with Christ in heaven, but we're not, we're not dominated. The flesh doesn't dictate the human nature anymore. The person who is according to the spirit is one who continually and habitually believes that he isn't right, his flesh isn't right, but that God is right. His power of his life is in what Christ did for him. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are two distinct people. This passage also shows us two distinct mindsets. Their minds are totally going in opposite directions. As we look at verse 5, you notice that it talks about mind four different times. If you draw attention to that word mind, It's a Greek word that emphasizes the thought process of the mind. In this context, it's emphasizing is about what one really thinks or is drawn to. When it says sets their mind on, it's not talking about the intellectual mind. 
When it says set your mind on, it's referring to the basic orientation bent and thought patterns that is being controlled. It sets their mind by the flesh or sets their mind according to the spirit. Mind indicates that a person's affection and will and reason is being controlled by something else or a pattern of thinking that is being dominated by humanistic viewpoint. You may have heard that uh, you've heard of the term worldview. What is your worldview? How do you look at things in the world? Verse 5 is talking about that this person, the unbeliever, is their mind is being controlled or dominated by the flesh. Their worldview, the pattern of their thinking is the world or the humanistic viewpoint. Philosophies and all these things, what we see in Colossians chapter 2. We're supposed to set our mind on Christ, not on the things of this world. The other pattern is, is one that is being controlled and it's functioning based on God's word and the Holy Spirit. The, it's based on God and his word. It says it sets his mind on the things of the spirit. The idea there is, is that it's God's spirit that's in control of things. That's why in Ephesians he says, be careful how you walk, letting the Holy Spirit be in control. Letting. We have the Holy Spirit, but that's really the question. Who is dominating your thinking? A believer is someone who has the Holy Spirit that's dominating your thinking. Have you ever seen something going on in the world or in a relationship or something, and all of a sudden you get a, like, that's just not Right? That's the Holy Spirit talking to you and, and sharing with you. There's red flags that pop up because your mind is being controlled or dunning by the pattern of God's Spirit. We see that there are two distinct patterns in your thinking, which leads to different and opposite directions. I like Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul has been describing how to have a mindset that is in Christ in chapter 2. Then he says that his main focus of his whole life is to know Christ. The only thing that is important to Paul is to know Christ. Everything about Christ. Now that the Holy Spirit has taken over in Paul's life, you remember, Paul was all about the flesh. He was all about knowledge, and he was all about being smarter than everybody else, to know the law. Maybe that's the pattern in your life. And that was his pattern. But when he met Christ and he was saved and God saved him from his sin, when he received the Holy Spirit, now the only important thing was Christ, to have that mindset of Christ. And he goes in in verse 17 of Philippians 3, he said, brothers, join in imitating me, following this mindset, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, which is interesting. You know that the, in the Greek, they don't have the is, is not there. It's literally the end destruction. The end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set focused, controlled by earthly things. When it says set, it means set in and being dominated by earthly things. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies. No more aches, no more pains, no more cold weather. <laughs> no, we won't be affected by this world. We won't be affected by the things of the flesh. Those things, those earthly things. There are two different opposite directions that these things do to our life. The mind that is dominated by the flesh is death. Literally, in verse 6, it says, For to set your mind on the flesh, death. It's not even, the, the is is not there. It's not, you notice, it's not even leads to death. It's not like if you just, if you're in the flesh, you are, are spiritually dead. We know that from 1 Corinthians. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. That the Holy Spirit brought us from death to life. He brought us to be alive in the Spirit, in with the Lord. He made us alive with Christ. That's what Paul is saying here is the unsaved person is dead. They don't see Christ. They don't see the Spirit. They don't see the things of the Lord because they are dead. The word death there is, is thanatos. It's actually where Marvel picked up their word for Thanos, right? And you know, he's going through the, the universe. If you all your younger guys are all about uh, Marvel and comics, you know, they... Thanos was all about wiping out and killing half of the universe, right? And, but the word literally means separation from God, from, to separate from God both physically and spiritually, to be separate, dead. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace. It's the completely opposite. It's like going in completely a different direction. It describes a mind which is controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit where life is present. The word life should be familiar when it says in John 10.10. 10, remember what Jesus said about being the, the good shepherd? He talks about the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? That's what living in this world does. That Living in the flesh, being of the flesh, of sin... The thief only comes to still kill and destroy. I came that they, that is believers, may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word life is literally means absolute fullness. Christ came and, and he to save us, to give us life. Not just Life now, but life eternal. Life that's full, complete. To be separated from God is not to have life. To be separated, to be in the flesh, is not to have fullness. It's to be lacking. That's why you hear a lot of people when, before they knew Christ, they said, my life was kind of empty. That's because there was no life. They were void. But in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation because we have life that's fullness, being in Christ, we've been given the fullness of life. It, the, whoop. the other there is, is that we have peace. You know, the world is always fighting to have peace. Isn't that funny? 
fighting to have peace. They're trying to, it's like, have you noticed the more that the world tries to create peace, that the more fights that happen? If you just, if you just agree with the way I want to live, then we're going to have peace. But what has it done? It's created more fighting, more riots, more, more wars, more rumors of wars. Relationships have been separated, pulled apart. Right? But in Christ, there is the fullness of life and peace. You know what the word peace literally... Peace, you know, the world, the, the peace that the world wants is just leave me alone, let me do whatever I want, which is really not peace. But peace means to bind together that which was separated. What is God talking about? Bind together that which is separated. That's why in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the only way we can have peace because it's binding together that relationship with God that was separate because of the sin of the flesh. But because of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to save us, we now have peace. We've been brought together in an amazing relationship that results in no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because the work of Christ on the cross brought the power of the Holy Spirit to reside in our life that produces life and peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Because now you've been brought together in peace with God. Right? Because Christ took all of God's wrath as our stand-in. He took all of that wrath so that way we now have been brought together in union with Christ, with the Lord. We're going to see one conclusion as we're going to talk about 7 and 8 and talk about the conclusion, what the life in the flesh, the unbeliever, looks like. Next week we'll talk about life in the spirit. But here's the thing is, is now verse 7 begins with a conjunction that's subordinate. It's, it's really because, because, which introduces a series of reasons why if one who believes in himself can never have life and peace. Why is it that a person in the flesh, that's following his flesh, that's an unbeliever, never can enjoy life and have peace? And he's saying this, because the one who believes in himself can never have life and peace because the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God. When an unbeliever who is in the flesh, literally, they are hostile, they are enemies. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We once were enemies before Christ. We were literally enemies with God. We are hostile. When, when, when people, when an unbeliever, when you come and talk to the Lord, it's amazing. I can talk about the Lord and never mention his name. But as soon as I mention the Lord, hostility enters into the conversation. It just riles up an unbeliever. Somebody who is in the flesh, they don't like being confronted with the things of the Lord. They usually tell me, stop quoting scripture to me. I don't want to hear it anymore. Because their mind is being dominated by the flesh. It's set on those things. 
It's literally they're living in death, so they're hostile to God. The word hostile means a hateful state of being an enemy with God. This next saying in verse 7, it says, is because their mind is set on the flesh is not submissive to God's law. Look at what it says. It says, not only is it, is it death in the mind of the spirit is life and peace, for the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Not only does it, they don't want to submit to God's law, but it's impossible for them to do so. The word is basically subjected or to be placed under in subjection. They're so hostile to God that they can't even be submissive to God's law. They can never fulfill the law of God in the flesh. The flesh is not capable of submitting itself to God's law. This should help you to understand why following a bunch of rules doesn't help you to grow in the Lord. Paul is setting up the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because the mind that's set on the flesh cannot please God. Living in the flesh, the unbeliever, it's impossible for them to please God. I mean, that's, it's, it's a, that's a big one to think about. We desperately, when we come to Christ, when we're in Christ, when we're following and the Holy Spirit resides in us, we have this desire to please God, but if, we're, if we continue to live in the flesh, it's impossible to use our flesh to please God. The unbeliever can't do it. They try, they mask it sometimes by doing moral things and sounding good, but they just cannot please God. It's impossible. That's why they're completely separate. No matter how much somebody tries, unless you're born of the Spirit, if, if you've been washed by the blood of Christ, if you've submitted to Christ and he saved you, it doesn't matter how religious, how moral, how educated, how successful, you'll never please God. Success in this life doesn't equal pleasing God. I and mean, we do that, right? We try to please our parents, our bosses, um, our, our spouses, and, and we try to try and try and try, and we do and we do and do, but it's it's, we can't do that with God. It doesn't work that way. God will not accept anything outside of his work in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are far, there, as we look at this, I, I uh, saw this and, and I was looking at James Montgomery Boyce in Romans and, and, uh, and another uh, pastor that was preaching and they talked about this, and, and the reality is, is that there's things that can never happen in the flesh. The flesh cannot be changed. The flesh cannot change itself. If it's impure, it's going to be impure, right? It just, it does not change. It cannot be corrected or restored to, to purity. It's rebellious. It's non-submissive. It, it can't transform into submitting to the Lord's will. It's impossible. It can't be reformed. We can't reform the flesh. It can't be trained. The flesh can never be trained. The works of the flesh always remain the same. It will be impure. The flesh is stubborn. It refuses to change its ways. If you've ever tried to, to try to change something and it's just impossible, 
It's because you're trying to use your flesh to please somebody else, to please yourself, to please someone else. And it definitely won't please the Lord. It cannot do that. And it can't be improved upon. You can't improve the flesh. No matter how, you, no matter how hard you try, it, 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 you're going to die. It's going to happen. You just can't improve it. The flesh cannot be reconciled to God. God can never be brought into harmony with that which is out of harmony. It just, it doesn't happen. We have to be dead. We have to die to the flesh and be raised again in in life. That's what the the Holy Spirit did for us to transform us. When, When we laid our life down, when we said, it's no longer about me, and we put our life down before Christ and we submitted to him and repented and said, I am a sinner. I am dead in my sin. I need you. And he raised us back up through the power of the Holy Spirit to life because of the work that Christ did on the cross when he rose again and conquered death and he took all the wrath of God and he became our standing. He paid for our sins. The idea here is that now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are now we have life and peace. There are no condemnation. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. Only God can reconcile us to him through his work. This is the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two groups of people in this world, unbeliever and the believer. You say, well, there's so many applications to this. I don't know where you're at in your life, but the ability to defeat sin is not your work. If you're trying to defeat sin and just you think that, you know, different things will defeat it. If I just do this or I just do that, it's not going to happen because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important. Are you pursuing the things of the Spirit? Are you pursuing the things of the Lord? Or are you still pursuing the desires of your flesh? You'll never, never satisfy your flesh. You, You can't. We can't. That's why he's so excited here. Paul is saying, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's going on, and why? Because this is what the Holy Spirit has done for you by transforming you from the flesh, which is death, and raising you into this new life in Christ, which is life and peace. The question then becomes, which mindset dominates your life? Because the flesh can never change you, reform you, train you, improve you, and reconcile you. There are a lot of religions that try this. All of these things. If you just do these things, you'll be okay. I'm here to tell you, we can't be okay. Which mindset? Is it a life in the spirit? Is it, is it the things of the Lord that dominate your life? Is it your desire for the Lord? Is it your desire for what Christ has done for you? Is the gospel dominating your life? Or is it the things of this world? That's a great question because 
Here's the thing is because we're still living in the flesh, but it no longer has dominion over us because we are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the, that the, the, the flesh over here isn't calling and saying, hey, if you just come over here and do these things, you'll have happiness. The real question is, is do you want to be happy in these things? Or do you want to be fulfilled with joy in the Spirit? The Spirit produces joy, which lasts. Do you feel peace and content in the midst of the storm? You know, I was thinking about that as I was sitting there before the fire. as 50 mile an hour winds. I was like, I'm not worried. I've done all I can do. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> I was okay. I was content. I was peaceful. I slept like a baby while it was pounding outside. I woke up and I was like, is anything frozen? <laughs> I went outside. I was like, oh, the water's still not frozen and with my animals. Praise the Lord. I did my job. You know what the, the beautiful thing is, is? I can have contentment and joy no matter what because I know what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. I know that I don't have to produce this power. I just have to walk with Christ. I just have to walk with him, continue to follow him. And he will produce the desires that I need. The desires to do the good things in life don't come from the things of my flesh and doing good things. It comes from following Christ. Maybe you have the wrong idea of who God is. Because if you have the wrong idea of God, it's going to push you back to the things of the flesh. Paul is saying here, the reason we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit pleases God. It puts us right where we need to be. Where are you, what are you striving for? I pray that as we move together through Romans and, and our life together and fellowship together, that your life be dominated by desiring to walk with the Spirit. This new life that God has given to you as a gift, being in Christ, that, you, you're, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you realize that the Holy Spirit pleases God. Our heart is desperately wicked. If we try to please God based on our own actions, we will fail miserably. Which mindset, which worldview? Are you looking at the world through Christ? Are you looking at your circumstances through Christ? Are you, is the Holy Spirit you know, controlling what you're looking at? Or is it the things of your flesh? I don't feel good, therefore I'm going to make myself feel better. Or are you looking at it and say, I don't need to feel good because I, Christ is doing this for me. I am confident because of Christ. I am confident that, that he is going to sustain me. I am confident that he is in control. I am confident. I don't have to feel good because Christ is good. Do you see the difference? Which worldview is dominating your life? 
you say, well, pastor, I, I am following after Christ and, and I can see that sometimes my flesh takes over. Great. Stop where, you, where you're doing and walk towards Christ. I was in a meeting with Rob and he said this and it was uh, very apropos. He said, I've, I've clinged to this. I, I love it. He said, if you're not walking in Christ, if you're not you know, walking in the spirit, then you're stuck on the hill. Have you ever been stuck on a hill? Holding a, a big boulder? You know, the big boulder of your, the burden of your flesh? <laughs> and you're trying to go uphill? You, you can stop for a while, can't you? Once you stop going up the hill, if you stop pushing something up the hill, I've, I've tried pulling and pushing stuff up the hill, and you stop, you can hold it for a while. And eventually what happens? You get tired. Your muscles get sore. They start to cramp. And all of a sudden, what do you do? You start going downhill. You may be able to stop where you're at in your walk with God and hold it for a while, but eventually the flesh will take over and you're going to slide backwards. But if you keep walking in the Spirit, guess who pushes for you? The Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Maybe your life is totally dominated by flesh. You don't even desire the Lord. You need to ask yourself, are you saved? Your flesh, are you still an unbeliever? You know that God exists, but you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. And you haven't presented your life to him. And he hasn't saved you. He hasn't redeemed you. He hasn't purchased you by the blood of the lamb, by Christ who died on the cross for your sins, to take on the whole wrath of God, to satisfy the payment that we deserve, which is death. Repent. Say, God, you're right. I am wrong. I am a sinner. You're holy. I am not. I can't do anything. I present myself to you. I surrender to you. Save me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would prick you this morning and that you would cry out to the Lord if you realize you are not saved. You've been living a life in the flesh, trying to do everything right, listening to everybody in church, and, and you're like, yeah, yep, doing all those things is a good thing, but I have not surrendered to Christ. Your life isn't in Christ, and the Holy Spirit has not produced life and peace in you. You realize that, and you look at these two different groups, and you realize, I am not in this group in Christ. Surrender to him this morning and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this section. I could go on and on on, on, on verses 9 through 10, but I think it's best to stop here. And Lord, I just pray that you impress on people's heart that maybe they would realize the difference between life and death, that they would realize between the life in the flesh and the life in the spirit. And that they'd realize why unsaved people, people that are enemies of you, that are hostile, that cannot please you, why it's so hard to share Christ with an unbeliever. It's not because of us. It's because of their hostility to you. You told us that, Lord, if, if they hated me, that they're going to hate you. And that is so true. I pray, Lord, that we'd realize that we shouldn't worry about whether the world hates us 
because it's already hates you. It's hostile to you. But Lord, we have the good news of how to change that hostility. Lord, may this impact us. Why we have no condemnation? It's not because of us. It's because of you. Lord, may that impact our heart and change us and empower us to to stop focusing on our flesh and, and how we feel, but realize what we have in you. May that give us and produce the things of the Spirit and have a newfound joy and outlook and a worldview in our life. And Lord, I pray that if someone here is not saved, that Lord, you would save them from their sin this morning, that they would cry out to you, that they would be honest from their heart, not just in their mind, that they would give over their life to you and surrender and that they'd be found new and refreshed because of the power of the work of the cross. We rose again in the power of the Spirit to change and transform and be renewed into a new creation that's in Christ, in his work, and that they would be changed and renewed. Thank you for the work that you've done for those that are saved, those that you've in the church that have given their life to you. Thank you for that amazing work that unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we desire you even more. In Jesus' name we pray.